where it almost sounds like you're arguing against your own point that we even need Christianity because the people who are doing these things in your mind, it's like you're saying that because, you know, there is one God, he is perfect and he is Christ as you understand him. That is not how, you know, billions of other people practice their faith and express good attitudes and humanity and love towards others. But it is, again, it is this, this our center of the universe idea that everyone else's good actions are still a reflection of God showing up to prove that God more faithful to me. And it sounds again, like you're kind of arguing against your point that we even need Christianity, that we even need religion because it's ubiquitous because atheists can do all of that too. Uh, Absolutely. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nuance Hill YouTube channel slash my podcast called The Mormon History Hoedown. Uh, my name is Nuanto, Kara uh, Burrell, and I have a very special guest for today's episode. I met Stephen at, let's see, Sunstone over the summer, and I was on his podcast, Mormon Book Reviews, about last week, where he took me on, asked me a bunch of hard questions, and I thought that I would return the favor. And I think I'm titling this episode 10 Hard Tough questions for a gay evangelical. So hopefully this appeals to uh, my evangelical audience, my ex-evangelical audience, and of course my ex-Mormon audience. So let's get Steve on in here. Hey, bud, welcome to the program. (laughs) Karen, it's a real pleasure to come on the show today. Um, You know, it was really cool because we had the opportunity to do meet at Sunstone. I found you to be a very delightful human being. And I felt like I always misunderstood you. And now I understand you better. And I think that there's a lot of good. I see a lot of good in you. I know there's a lot. I will tell you that I got a lot of downvotes for posting you on my channel. Probably the most that like highest ratio. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. That is an encouragement. Everybody, you can literally hop off this video as soon as it has come to completion. And you've watched every minute of this video. Go over to Mormon Book Reviews. Link will be down below. And everybody go give some love to my episode because I just got in the studio and I said, I only want to talk about serious things, hard hitting things. I don't want to talk about anything that I've talked about a million times. So I said, ask me every hard question you've got. And what's the question you started with right off the bat? Are you a Marxist? (laughs) So I answer, am I a Marxist? And um, I woke and I watched it back this morning because I didn't want to watch it because I was like, I was probably really cringe. And uh, the, the, Main overall thesis is basically that uh, power dynamics are a really important concept to me, and everything comes down to people trying to gain equity and power in a very corrupt system, whether that's Mormonism or politics. So I I realize now where uh, I lost people. I I know where it was, where I lost people. It was as soon as I I talked about uh, people going and dying and fighting for wars over oil, because I don't know if everyone knows this quite yet. Uh, The war in the Middle East... Osama bin Laden was not in Iraq and you were, everyone was right for being like, huh, why are we going into the, ma-? so there, there's, um, I think I lost people who didn't know what, uh, we just spent oh, like trillions you know, of dollars and 20 years in the middle East about. Just, so people were probably mad at me on that one. And then probably 15 other things. So, yeah. well, and that's the thing too, actually, honestly, I, uh, uh, the last political campaign that I worked for, I was a volunteer coordinator in the state of Indiana for Ron Paul for president in 2008 who was an anti-war, anti-war Republican. So I've always been part of the anti-war, the diminishing wing, although it's weird because now it's becoming an anti-war party in a weird way. Um, I was an anti-war Republican when it was certainly not cool to be one. That's perfect. We welcome all 
ex and non neocons to the program. Uh, yeah. So I definitely lost some people with where I was going and that's fine. Cause I was like, this is, this is just an opportunity for you to ask hard questions and me to answer them off the cuff. So let's do the same thing. Let's do the okay, same thing. That sounds same great. Thing now the advantage, right? the advantage that I think we both have that I have over you is that you kind of threw it at the last minute. Like, Hey, ask me tough questions. I'm like, Okay, now I had no, I wasn't prepped for it, but I thought I was throw out I'll throw some tough questions because I know there's enough out there. So this is gonna be kind of fun, and I I, I do want to take on all challengers because do people people do attack me or maybe don't understand me, and so I think it's good to have this conversation. Okay, let's have people understand you. First of all, you run a YouTube channel called Mormon Book Reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, you invite all different types of perspectives. You have a very diverse audience who listens, um, an audience who uh, downvotes me. So I don't know if they're like super chill. They're probably could be a little bit more cool. I don't know. <laughs> what, do you, what are your uh, aspirations? What are you hoping for with your platform? And what is your, your background and kind of your biases that you bring to your platform what are your mm. beliefs yeah no that's really fascinating i've already fulfilled any beyond anything that i could have possibly dreamt for this channel has already exceeded anything that i could have possibly imagined it's so much my bigger. appearance last week yes of course <laughs> yeah of course that was the that was a cherry on top. no you started off hard you started off with getting uh, richard bushman on so yeah no, yeah real deal that's yeah, I have 106 subscribers and Richard Bushman comes on your show. And, and that just like the next day I'm on the phone with John Dillon, like how in the world did you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that was kind of a cool uh, introduction. So, you you know, you ask, okay, so just so you know, of course, many people know my story and everything like that, but I've been interested in Mormonism since I was a young child. And and it's kind of funny because I don't talk about my sexuality a lot, but it was probably about the same age that I found my interest in, 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 in Mormonism was about the same age that I realized that I, I was different and in more ways than one and that I was attracted to boys. So this was an innate thing at a very young age. And so that's part of my story as well. Now, when you say what kind of biases, you know, I, tr I really truly don't want to, look, I acknowledge I come from a particular position on things, but I, but, but I tell people that 90% of the time, you could argue that I disagree with my guests like 90% of the time, yet I'm able to have a civil conversation with them I also had a faith crisis circa around 2005, 2006, and probably right about that, probably around 2006, 2007, is when I just basically, I read everything I could get my hands on. I read all the Four Horsemen of the uh, of Atheism books, uh, you know, Hitchens and Sam Harris, and it was a Sam Harris book, Letter to a Christian Nation. That was my final, I remember reading a passage in Letter to a Christian Nation from Sam Harris, and literally, as soon as I read this uh, this paragraph, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm out. Like I am out. Like I, I'm not even trying to I'm make, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe in God. Came full fledged atheist. So essentially I deconstructed my faith. I read science books. I read history books. I read bi biology books. I, I, I really educated myself because I was taught young earth creationism as a kid. And so I really feel like these are giving me the tools. Are there biases? I'm sure there are. I can't go to you and say, okay, these are my top five biases, but I do recognize because I'm a white male in America, I have certain advantages and privileges and I'm not apologizing for being a white, I, I can't help that, right? But I'm just saying that I do recognize that, yeah, okay, of course, I'm going to have some advantages that, that other people have, you know, but but I try to come with this without a bias as best I can. And I rec recognize, and of course, that could be, a, there are blind spots that I have in my life as well, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a really nice, honest take. Yeah, nothing against being uh, born uh, as a thing that you cannot help. So you're talking to a person who uh, who understands we are just products of our genetics and our conditioning after all. Um, 
So what do you think of, I guess, the Bible, Christianity? Where do you find yourself then as this evangelical? How tightly do you hold to the texts? Where do you kind of get your faith from and like substantiate a, what I'm assuming is a literal belief in a resurrected deity of Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So because I deconstructed the, the Bible, I still feel like I still have, if anything, maybe my biases are against a literal interpretation of the Bible. I actually feel like I almost have to re-educate myself with biblical scholarship to maybe take a little more, to maybe have a better understanding of some of the solid scholarship that is faithful, that that I've kind of kind of disregarded. So I still kind of come to this as like fully like higher criticism, you know, all this kind of stuff, uh, all the different, uh, you know, the 19th century German school of things. And so I kind of, that's like, I kind of view the Bible in many ways, like, like Dan McClellan does in many ways. And so I, so I, I kind of share with, with people, Bart Ehrman's, uh, let me, let me put it this way. Bart Ehrman will tell you one, there was this guy named Yeshua who was a traveling preacher from Gal, from Nazareth. And he was predicting the imminent destruction of the temple. This is a real character, real historical character who was talking about an apocalyptic event that was going to happen within her lifetimes. And it happened, the destruction of the temple. Now, so this was a real person who was predicting the destruction of the temple. And part of the reason why, like a, a Jewish a Jewish scholar went to me and said, well, the reason why Jesus made it was because he, he got his prophecy right. And there were other people pro prophesying other things. We don't know anything about them because they got the prophecies wrong. <laughs> so so we, I just take it one step further and say, I do believe that he was the son of God and that he did rise to the grave. Because I said, imagine the scenario right now in the America today. If there's this backwoods hick from Appalachia. Okay, who comes out of nowhere, can't even read, and he fundamentally changes human history that we re re realign our calendars to his birth. So for me, that's like that's crazy. Like that wouldn't happen, but yet that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He comes from the backwater hick community, <laughs> like in the, in the backwaters of the greatest one of the greatest empires of all time, and by by most accounts couldn't was probably illiterate um if he's a product of his time to me that's a fascinating thing to to think about you know and that's kind of where i i think he presents a challenge to everybody he presents a challenge to atheists he presents a challenge to all the other religions because there's certain claims about christianity that's truly unique that i find just totally fascinating and so those are the kind of things i grapple with i don't do apologetics because i don't think apologetics is really that strong in fact, I'm very critical of most Christian apologists and have called them out of my program. Hmm. So, so that's, that's really how I say it again. I'm a very nuanced evangelical. And, 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 you know, can I, can I just tell you something? Tell me. All right. Literally some stuff happened to me over the course of the last few weeks and months where I've been attacked viciously by Christian apologists, uh, both publicly and privately. I'm sorry to slandered, hear that. Yeah. Slandered, slandered. Called unmentionable names and accused of unmentionable things that are totally based in lies. These are my so-called Christian brothers. And I will tell you, Kara, I literally was thinking, you know what? I don't know if I should even use the term evangelical to describe myself anymore. I thought I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I think it's a. Uh, I think uh, labels are do a disservice sometimes. Anyway, I, I I see your point and was seriously contemplating it. But this is the weird thing, I. I'm literally in the middle of a of the gay district in St. Petersburg, Florida, wearing my 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 uh, Aqua Jesus T-shirt, by the way. So that was great, right? <laughs> and uh, actually starting to do outreach and work within the gay community. 
I go to the Harvest Church in Sarasota, Florida, and they're an evangelical church. And apparently six months ago, this church decided this evangelical, um, fairly large evangelical church established, well-established in the community, decided to become LGBTQ affirming. But this church kind of checked all the boxes of what I was looking for. So I don't know. It's, it, it, it's To me, it's the perfect church. But then once I join it, it will no longer be the perfect church because I'll be a member of it. However, I don't believe in church membership. And that was the last box on my, that I checked off. I went to the pastor and said, no, I don't believe in church membership. He goes to me and says, oh, we don't do church membership here. I'm like, final box checked off and I have about five or six of them. I was, I was really amazed. So for me, it's almost like God kind of provided that for me. And I, I think it was just a beautiful thing. Well, I'm glad you found something and a place for community. At the end of the day, that's a definitely a basic instinctual longing. I think we all have something that X, whatever religious people still wish we could, we could find that we're yep. trying to grow. Yep. Uh, so I guess that leads to my next question. Uh, when you were talking about when, uh, being an atheist and seeing things through a naturalistic lens versus the one that you see things through now, um, I'm going to ask you quite frankly how do you determine what is actually true and what to follow um sounds like you you still have your your best evidence you, your best evidence kind of coming to me as the something that is miraculous somebody who is a backwoods nobody who our calendars are changed after but i'm sure you could come up with with better better reasons and better rationale yeah, uh, that's given a, the that's, platform of what, what, yeah, what your, your best evidence is of, of why you do believe yeah. in this Jesus Christ well, as this is, a literal figure. Well, I do believe how you came literal, to that. I do believe he was a literal figure. And I think that I don't doubt there was a literal person called Yeshua who was an itinerant preacher, um, you know, who was preaching the destruction of the temple. I think this is pretty well established that this existed. Look, if you, if I, you can go to me and say, there is not enough evidence that convinces me there's a, there's a God. And I would say, I'm fine with that because if I, I've, I've talked to other believers about this and some really thoughtful ones. And they said, if we had to do the totality of the evidence, the physical evidence that exists and all the information that we have, that the evidence weighs in favor of atheism. So I will grant you that the evidence is in favor of atheism. When I first started the channel, so many things happened almost on a daily basis that were like, this is weird. Like, how is this happening? And after a while, I'd be like, okay, what is the naturalistic explanation as to what just happened to me? And I could come up with the naturalistic explanation every time and say, okay, maybe this is of God. Maybe this is spiritual, but I can deconstruct that and say, okay, here is the naturalistic explanation as to what just happened to me. Fair enough. But then when it starts happening almost on a daily basis, I see a pattern. I'm like, this is too crazy, too strange that they have all these things that, I mean, I could just tell you story after story of weird things that I'm like, okay, either we're in, either there's a God or we're in a simulation and somebody is really messing around with me in the simulation. And maybe I need to go and buy me a lottery ticket because too many crazy things happen. And just the fact that I didn't know a single Mormon two and a half years ago and now not didn't know anybody. And now, like, I go to Utah and I get recognized. And how, how, what are the possibilities? What are the possibilities that you have 23 subscribers on YouTube? And next thing you know, John DeLynn gets, you get on John DeLynn's radar. You're saying, uh, seems very providential that there is a God, uh, putting things together and putting people in your path so that you can be yeah. able to 
Uh, Slowly acknowledging the fact that there are bad things happening to people right now and that there are children being raped and tortured as we speak and done in God's name. Okay. I don't, I also acknowledge that too. Okay. I just want want to make it really clear that, that, that I'm not saying, Hey, look at me, I'm blessed. And you're being a good nuance, bro. Right now. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At the same time, I, I have to acknowledge that too. Uh, yeah, I actually stole my name from Nuance Bro. He's a different YouTuber. I'm oh, Nuance Bro. He's Nuance Bro. But he does wear a flat build cap probably like that. But uh. And that was deliberate. I never wore a flat, flat, flat build cap in my entire life. I deliberately d- decided to brand myself with flat bill just for the fun of it. <laughs> well, the uh, joke in Utah, at least according to me, because I grew up in Provo, it's a very bro-y thing. You're kind of looking like you're trying to get in with the MLM uh, bro crowd of pro no. flat build hats. That's oh, what that says no. to the Utah audience. You may oh not know God. that all the way from Florida, but that says, do you want to try to sell me some pest control? Oh, is that really? <laughs> yeah. That's great. I love it. I'm we're friends. So I'll just tell you it's not Thank bad you. or good. Pest control needs to be sold, but to a well, Utah you know resident, what, it says you know a certain what, thing. What? You need to, can you excuse me for a minute? Whoa. Are you ready to go play ball in the backyard with a neighbor's son? <laughs> Amazing. Oh, this is great. All right. Steve, I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, what I have to say and we're going to keep going. All right. So okay, sounds good. What it sounds like to me is it sounds like it, deep down, you know, you understand, yes, the atheist arguments, but it also sounds to me like uh, you recognize rationally uh, when the options are presented before you, that your rational brain can only make sense uh, by dividing up what you see in the Bible, dividing up the Christian arguments, and choosing the more rational, the more naturalistic, the more mm-hmm. atheist ones. But you prefer Christianity because of its emotional comfort of believing that there is a God that is looking out for you. Uh, is that a good summary? Or because that's just how how I see it, but you can push back on that. It's so funny because for me, like I wasn't looking for that. I was a hardcore atheist agnostic. Well, we can't really always choose what our beliefs are. So right, but I I wasn't I wasn't looking to get back into faith because I had so got so pissed off at it, man, that there was no way I was getting back into it. Like I was hardcore atheist. Like, like spent all my time watching atheist programs. And then, of course, uh, perusing, I mean, literally lurking in the ex-Mormon Reddit since, since probably had like ten or 20,000 people in it. I mean, I, I literally, all my Mormon content was coming from the ex-Mormon Reddit for a long time, because that's what kept me up to speed. Uh, I wouldn't have foreseen happening, but I will tell you that I think I had what would be considered a bit of a spiritual experience. Actually, two, two times, I would say. And I didn't, I thought this through, I kind of actually thought this through when I was on Mormon Stories, was one of the things that kind of turned the page for me was when Dr. Christopher Thomas, um, who's the uh, president of the Book of Mormon Studies Association and is a Pentecostal theologian, one of the top Pentecostal theologians in the world, and wrote the book, A Pentecostal Reads the Book of Mormon, was asked at the last minute, they were having lunch, and John like, let's go to the studio right now. Let's film an interview. Like, okay, that's one of those John Lynn things. Like, okay. And he ended up taping three parts with Dr. Christopher Thomas. And part three, church service done broke out and christopher thomas was ministering to john delin and it was Mm. a very beautiful moment and i started crying and i just remember watching christopher the way he handled himself the way he conducted himself the way how pastoral he was and loving he was for john 
it was almost like, a, it, I, look, I'm sitting there. I've cracked open a few beers. I'm drinking. I'm like, oh, here's a Pentecostal Yahoo who's going to come on Mormon Stories and John DeLynn's going to have a field day. And then it didn't happen that way. And by the part three, I'm weeping watching this beautiful interview. And I was like, you know, if that's the kind of Christianity that Christopher Thomas practices, I can find my way. I could see myself maybe finding my way back that way. It was not like I was even thinking of becoming Christian, but I was like, that's the kind of Christianity that I can support was kind of that's how I felt it. I do believe that that was a, a, one of the things that kind of led me back into faith. Uh, what is the additional piece that Christianity then brings you as you practice it today that your atheism did not bring you? Um, boy, that's a great question, Kara, because, you know, in one sense, I had I had all my homies on YouTube, you know, atheists that I watched, like Aaron Ra and Derek Lambert and the Atheist Experience out of Austin, Texas. And then I had ex-evangelicals that a lot of ex-evangelicals become some of the top atheist YouTubers out there, including Genetically Modified Skeptic and with Paula Gia. Um, you know, so I've, I've, I, I really, really spent a lot of time, but I didn't have a, you know, my own community because I was socially isolated. I was suffering severe depression. So I think that what's so interesting to me is that starting this channel was really the, the recovery of me being able to, uh, most of my entire life, I suffered from severe depression, anxiety, and stress, and basically it just all disappeared. It's a spiritual experience to spend most of your life in severe depression and anxiety, and then have all those things taken away from you, you really do feel born again. And that's that to me, it's just a powerful thing. To, to, to now you're no longer your, your worst enemy. Now you're able to flourish because you are no longer fighting yourself. And that just became a beautiful thing. And I just, look, I don't, the, the, the relationship I have with God is never going to be like it was when I first was a believer. I mean, I was bought in hardcore, talked to God all the time. I don't have the conversations with God that I had was when I was younger. It's a different relationship that I have. And there are days, Kara, like, you know, and this is the other thing too. I, I want to make it really clear. I don't care about the end of days. I'm not interested in of the apocalyptic stuff. I'm not fast. I'm not interested in it at all. And two, I'm not really all that interested in the afterlife. These, these aren't the things that motivate me. I really feel like my faith is motivated by the fact that this is the world that we're in. We're all in this together. And that we as people of faith need to learn to work with each other and love each other and quit killing each other in the names of our gods. And I think it's really important that people in the faith community like me are in there to try to move the extremist, move the away from an extremist thing to an understanding of, you know what, maybe we should uh, be concerned about the state of this world. Maybe we should be concerned about climate change. Maybe we should not just, you know, maybe we, maybe we need to implement peace and, and not use war as our main thing of trying to accomplish anything. Maybe we need to uh, recognize a lot of things that maybe we're not going to, these aren't the end days, that we're going to be here for a very, very long time. And that is, and as a result, that means we're stewards and caretakers of this creation. And we can't just assume that we're just going to fly away when times get bad. Like we need to change the entire thought processes of the evangelicals who really, really believe we live in the last days and that and when the going gets tough, they're going to fly away. They're going to be raptured away and then the world can go to hell. And that's really a bad attitude to have. And really, I don't want people uh, doing legislation in our in our Congress that have that mindset because it keeps us from really progressing as a species. 
I think you and I share a lot of opinions on that, especially going back to what we talked about on your program last week, that the change that we want to see is not going to come about, you know, the change that we want to see for the best human flourishing, uh, the best for our environment and best for our society is not going to come about by certain means that I, as a previous, you know, Christian, Mormon, conservative, those are not going to be met through uh, the evangelical you know, white nationalist right-wing community that has, you know, 50% of the country in its chokehold right now. So I guess that leads me to ask you, uh, how can you possibly look to separate evangelicals from a belief that is tied to such doomsdaying, so much apocalyptic beliefs, so much, uh, we are right. We are on the right side of God. What we do is sanctioned by God. And even if history does not tell us that, we can whitewash that and continue until we keep saying that the, the end days are still coming. How do you get to work within Christian communities when the Bible has been around for 2,000 years and it continually keeps people in this trance that they are the chosen one in a chosen generation and that Christ will come in their lifetime? So I, I uh, when I first started this channel, um, I basically kind of felt like God placed me at this particular time and place to kind of try to usher in a, a new type of Christianity. And what I call this post-apocalyptic Christianity. And what does that mean? Post-apocalyptic Christianity is the Christianity that, that's going to exist after wh where we thought when the apocalypse was happening and didn't happen, where we thought Jesus was going to return and he didn't return. And I think that within the context of evangelical Christianity, it's all 19th century based through dispensationalism and the idea that once Israel became a nation and they were calling for Israel to become a nation, that was what was called uh, in the evangelical circles as a super sign that we're living in the last days. In the 1970s, this book that sold the most copies, period, secular and religious, was Hell Lindsay's Late Great Planet Earth. Why did it sell so many copies in the 1970s? It's because it was basically saying that Jesus was going to come in 1988. Why? Because 40 years is a biblical generation. Israel was formed in 1948. And guess what? It's going to happen. The, the tribulation would start in 1981 and Jesus returned. And, and, and the rapture would be in 1981 and Jesus would return in 1988. It was all set. And it didn't happen. Now, of course, Hal Lindsey uh, became a very wealthy man. And, uh, you know, has a still, I, I don't know if he's still alive, but he, he was a huge, huge, big guy. And uh, then, of course, that didn't, those dates passed. But then it was like, oh, wait, no, it's 40 years after they took Jerusalem in 1967. So that took us to 2007. You have to understand, growing up as a kid in the evangelical world, we basically, it was impossible that we'd, we'd see the year 2000. Like, that was like a million years from now. Like, there's no way, like, we're in the last days. It's all winding down. This is it. You're the you're the you're the last generation. This is all this kind of stuff we were taught growing up, you know. I mean, so we we're basically we're basically we didn't make any plans because we didn't think we'd even be able to get married and have kids and have grandkids and all this kind of stuff. So this is all this stuff that's being fed to us growing up that we're in the last days and this is the last generation and all this kind of stuff. And then nothing happened. Now I would say that the last um, breath of this is probably going to be right around 2030 where you're, uh, you're talking about 2,000 years from the birth, death, and burial, and resurrection of Christ. So maybe that takes us into the 2030s. It's, it's, been, it's, been, it's shown that neither one of those systems are correct, that dispensationalism, it's failed because, because of everything was telling us that there would be a pre-trib, pre pre-millennial rapture, 
and it would all happen within a generation of Israel becoming a nation, and it didn't happen. So now they keep on moving the goalposts, but they're only going to be able to push, pull them so far before evangelicals finally realize, like, wait a second. Like, we weren't supposed to make it this far in. Even And, and, and we're still here. Maybe Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon or there's the other ones that maybe they can full preterists and say that jesus returned in 70 a.d which is what sean mccraney uh advocates um but but the, i think it i think we're going to have a a paradigm shift in the evangelical world where everybody's like hey we've been hearing this all our lives and it's not happened so maybe we need to re relook at the scriptures and reinterpret them because the 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 the, the, the dominant evangelical narrative is collapsing in the way that the jehovah's witness narrative collapsed in the 20th century Two follow-up questions. Sure. One, uh, you're saying like we need to have a reassessment of such and such and such in the evangelical community. Evangelical community. Do you think, from what you have seen and what you observe in the evangelical and you know overall, I could say Christian Protestant community, do you think that from what you have seen that they are capable of that type of reformation and reflection? And then two. Uh, you as a podcaster and as somebody who is kind of banking on these spiritual experiences that have pushed you into this space, uh, can you explain a little bit more about uh, how the God that you worship, which I would assume is some type of perfected God that you understand in a very nuanced way, however, why that God uh, would have such an imperfect book with uh, so many contradictions and uh, an inability to be able to be reformed, why you still place your faith and bank uh, so much of your time and effort in this space overall. Okay. So first of all, I'm not a literalist, so I'm not a fundamentalist. Okay. So so for me, I tell people, I said, I, um, I said the, the Bible was directed by the hand of God, but the fingerprints of man are all over it. So it's an imperfect book. I don't consider it to be this perfect magical book. I just so wait, wait, but but why? But why would God give us this imperfect book? Is my question though. Too. Because because we're in a divine conversation. We 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 as mortals, the second we have a divine experience and we try to write it down, it becomes distorted, because it's incomprehensible. Because you're dealing with the 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 infinite. You're dealing with a God that's so powerful that if i were to have a divine experience the second i write it down it becomes corrupted because it's now written through a human hand so this so the bible is man's best attempt to try to understand the impossible the unexplainable the most mysterious aspect so of course if man is going to try to try to describe it it's going to be corrupted because we are not perfect and we're dealing with a perfect entity does that make okay. sense to you? Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. I will okay. be pushing back continually if you wanted to. If you had anything else you wanted to finish on? Uh, uh, what you just well, said. you had asked uh, also uh, something about um, okay about the scriptures, and then also the need for like like uh, can we reform or could we see like a, a change you know re reformation with an evangelical? Do you see in the evangelical community that you're in, you're talking about we need to you know be in this post-apocalyptic version of Christianity. I'm just asking from what you've seen though, do you think that that type of reflection and reform is even possible? Yeah. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I went to a church yesterday uh, with hundreds of people that feel the same way. And that gives, that's like, Oh, like I found a community now of Christians that kind of 
see that would be great yeah i'm for it see look at it this way there's a beauty in evangelicalism it was part of the abolitionist movement it was about the it was it was the movement that uh, that gave women the rights to vote does this these are evangelical causes so you can see that with even within the context of historically in america that there was a lot of good about evangelical christianity was a force for good it was also in, involved in reforming the, uh, the 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 child labor laws and all these kind of things so there was aspects of evangelical christianity that i look at and say that's the beautiful thing then we see the distortion of evangelical Christian when it, Christianity when it, with the rise of the Christian right, which was fascinating to me because actually Tim Whitaker on uh, the new evangelical podcaster, it pointed out, he said, it's a myth that it was a Roe versus Wade that activated the Christian right in the 1970s. He said the Christian right started with Jerry Falwell and Bob Jones defending segregation because it was clearly in their minds uh, uh, supported in scripture. That's where the Christian right started, was, was as a pro-segregationist movement, okay? It wasn't abortion. It was, it was that. Then they used the abortion. Then they used going against feminists. Then they used going against the gays to raise money and, and all this kind of stuff. So that's the reality. So if anything, the, the modern evangelical church that you see today is not really authentic evangelicalism. It's been hijacked by these political players and we've been manipulated. So to me, it's like there's 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 a chance for restoration, reformation within evangelicalism because we can see in the past all the good that it, it was a force for good for for humanity in many many ways. And uh, so to me, it's I'm hopeful. I'm not saying it's going to happen, Kara, but I'm hopeful, and I think that it's really important that people like me are in the evangelical community uh, playing a prophetic role in trying to uh, move the move us away from the precipice here. And back away and call, calls for us to have a, a moment of reflection as a people. Okay. Uh, well, I appreciate anybody who gets to work in a type of grassroots way where they see problems in their community and they work together with other people with similar beliefs to kind of uh, snuff out the dogma and move into a more nuanced space that's more inclusive. And so um, I agree with all of that. Let me go back to uh, what you were talking about with God being perfect. Uh, but the Bible being something that has man's fingerprints all over it, because that's what happens when you take such a divine, infinite type of being and try to put it in such a, a vine, finite vessel. And so that is also the same argument that is used, as I'm sure you know, for the the infallibility and then the fallibility uh, when it is advantageous to an argument in Mormon spheres, when we look to our prophets and leaders. And so that is definitely an argument that I'm familiar with that I can push back on because um, I would just say that uh, that in and of itself, that God cannot communicate more directly, that it is against his will to hold another person as property, as a slave or uh, you could go through a number of different things. I don't Absolutely. need to mention them to you of, Absolutely. of what your typical atheist would pull out of the Bible and say, why cannot, uh, an infinite being get so many things about Absolutely. basic human rights for his children. Correct. Absolutely. And so to that point though, about what you're saying is that evangelicalism has been corrupted. I would say that religion in and of itself, uh, while it can be very healing and have communal benefits and rituals and all of those things, uh, why can't we just throw out any type of literal belief that this is a God-inspired book and not just uh, take it for what it is, that this is uh, people with political power then during the the collection of the Bible and now who are using and, and feeding people's uh, religious inclinations to bring about 
the political means, the greed that they have uh, in the end for themselves of what they seek, uh, that religion can be used to co-opt this in every other different sphere. Uh, of course, it's going to be true of anything that is Bible-based and Christian-based. It's not just evangelicalism being corrupted right now. If you were to live directly by the Bible, you'd also be living a very effed up reality no, as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, to me, yeah, yeah. To me I, look at, I look at, like I said, is it scripture? Yes, but what does that mean? Is it the word of God? I tell people, I, I follow the word of God, but the Bible tells us the Bible is not the word of God. The word is Jesus. So I choose to follow Jesus. The, 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 look, when I look at Leviticus, I'm looking at legislation and I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I'm reading legislation, is that really inspired or is this legislation that's, that's given in God's name? Like I tell people said, you know, like people say, well, don't you understand like the, 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 the rights that they use, you know, for cleanliness and stuff was it, this is one, this is one of the most asinine uh, apologetic arguments I've ever heard, but I hear it all the time. They're like, well, why does it they have all these rules and regulations about cleanliness and what foods to eat and what to do and all this kind of stuff? They say, well, it's because the Bible actually infers that the, the germ theory of, of disease, whatever, this, this is the argument to make. And I'm like, you know what? We could have solved a lot of this cleanliness st stuff if God gave us the formula for soap in the book of Leviticus. That would have solved a lot of our cleanliness issues, right? <laughs> he didn't. So when I read this stuff, I'm like, okay, this is to me, I'm reading it. I'm like, this is just. Are, they're just making this is the, they're giving us legislation that's obviously written by men and they're saying okay and this was inspired by god that's kind of how i see it so i like like when i look at it and say yeah of course this, this couldn't come from a perfect being because it does advocate slavery uh verses in the bible or the story like at the conquest of the promised land was that they were justifying a lot of these things by saying that god commanded them i don't know if god really did command them but that's how they wrote it in the bible to justify their actions so that like i take a very nuanced view of scripture but like I said, I follow the word of God and the word of God is not the Bible. The word of God is Jesus. All right. Let's dig into that. Uh, seeing as the Bible is the only thing that we have that in any way kind of resembles perhaps words of this Jesus figure written 90 years after he lived with many contradictory accounts, uh, you cannot start a uh, I have I have TikToks that have gone viral of trying to tell the resurrection story start to finish without any contradictions of who was there, what was said, was he allowed to touch people, was he not? And to me, that rings that the most important event to prove the divinity of Jesus Christ, the resurrection itself, was not something that Jesus and God would care enough to leave behind any kind of like concrete, coherent evidence for. So the Jesus that you're saying that you follow. Uh, what I find more often is that people are following uh, a type of Christ consciousness that is ubiquitous across all different types of te teachers and different religions. Um, that is kind of my my move from from straight up atheism into a little bit more of a, a agnostic mysticism is uh, realigning myself with the best ideals of Jesus Christ, the best ideals of Christ consciousness, do unto others as you'd want to do unto yourself, and that we are all one. So uh, what I find difficult, though, is when people, uh, I feel like what I'm hearing from you is, is, is that type of energy of, of uh, a care and a Christ consciousness of trying to do the best by the people around you, uh, but then still trying to take uh, a hard literal view that the Jesus Christ who was speaking these different verses in the Bible is something that we can actually claim was originated by God. Uh, where do you 
where do you land on that? Where do you kind of substantiate your belief that the resurrection did happen and that the the words and verses from Jesus are actually correct, given that they are not actually something that are taken from anything that he actually would have said while he was living? Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, I think that to me, I go more with uh, the early writings of the Apostle Paul, who is um, within 10 years of the events of Christ's, we're, we're re, uh, of Christ within 10 to 15, 12 years or so, he's writing these letters and he's giving us a report of these people that he, one, was originally persecuting. And then he's meeting with them and he's hearing their stories and he's writing it down. This is a very, very close to the time of Jesus. And he is, you know, and he's talking to people who witnessed him and saw a post-resurrection Jesus. And so for me, that's a really fascinating thing. We don't have anything. There's no count. There's nothing that we have in the historical world that gives us like a, a contemporary count within 10 years of this historic event happening. That we have almost a contemporary uh, thing happening, you know, like a contemporary account of Jesus and his early followers and what they, what they taught and what they believed. And even at this moment, you have to understand, Kara, these are all Jewish people, all right? And the idea that there's any God but God you only pray to God. These are temple-going Jews, right? And yet, they're praying to Jesus. This is blasphemy to, to the Jewish mind, to pray to any other God other than Yahweh. Yet, they were praying to Jesus. Within 10 years of this person being alive, still faithful Jews going to the temple. And they're praying to Jesus. This is so incredibly impossible to imagine that you could consider that they, that, but they didn't see there being an issue that they're praying to Jesus. This is early on. They're praying to Jesus as though he's God. This is before the Gospels are written. This is a astonishing thing. It's 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 it it, it, it doesn't he doesn't even compute. So for me, it's like, wait a second, we got these relatively soon contemporary accounts. We have these people who are praying to Jesus who are devout Jews. You don't pray to any other God unless you believe that that is God in the flesh that you interacted with. That, that to me is like, that's just a mind-blowing thing. It's just, it just doesn't happen. Jews don't pray to anybody other than, <laughs> there's only one God. And they were all monotheists, and they were all faithful Jews, and they were still going to the temple, and they were praying to Jesus. I think my problem here with what you're saying, though, is that you are putting far too much credibility on the simple fact that they are Jews and the idea that people in their position would not worship a false god um, when, by the very same measure, all the other Jews are also, by our account, worshiping a false god. So this this person who is coming and many different ideas well, about all, a messianic... All the uh, Jews would look at themselves as worshiping the God of Israel. They all right, they were so, all universal in their in their belief in that they're worshiping the God of Israel. But yeah, so why why is the Jews worshiping Jesus Christ specifically significant? Because a lot of people worship false gods. The, the temple going Jews do. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of. People in the of first all century? different phases. I'm sure there are plenty of different people in many different centuries who worship false gods. It just happens to be the Jesus Christ that we that we understand that we know about uh, is more on the front burner of our minds. But, I mean, but but I'm just saying, like it's it's okay. I guess I guess if you're a Hellenized Jew, 
and you live outside of you know Israel, Jerusalem or whatever and you're you're living in Turkey or whatever and you're engaged you're culturally hellenized and you're engaging pagans and stuff like this they that that might be one thing but to be Jews in Jerusalem in the 1st century who are faithful Jews who are worshiping the God of Israel the God of the Old Testament and the praying of Jesus this is this is this is this is a different story I, I, Isn't yeah, it, yeah, is I'm it not, a I'm different story too? Because I'm like, uh, I see. First of all, I uh, there are many, many, many different breakoff versions of Judaism, Islam, Christianity, all throughout the years, and yeah. so uh, it doesn't seem actually that much different that there would be people who uh, worship different varieties of what they view as God within a larger set see, of if beliefs. If you're Jewish, you're a monotheist. If you're not a monotheist, then you're not a Jew, because you're you know you're, you're worshiping a false god. This is the thing: is that that they would have viewed themselves as monotheists who were praying to the God of Israel in the character of Jesus. That so it's yeah, there could be sects and stuff that have different groups and all that kind of stuff. But this is this is Jerusalem-based Jews in the first century. They know the they have the they have the Bible, the Old Testament as we know it existed. They knew they had a fully delineated view of who God was that he was that he was they were all monotheists and to me that's just fascinating like that to me it's just it's a it's like it's, it's yeah. different than the other yeah. other thing look so here's make, here, okay. here's how it sounds to me though okay uh i'm gonna i'm gonna do an analogy but uh even if this analogy doesn't work i still think my okay. my point kind of stands what it kind of sounds like is you know look at 1820s upstate new york there's a bunch of people who all believed in protestant uh, Christianity, and they understood that uh, the, they understood the Trinitarian view of Jesus Christ. And then along came Joseph Smith, and he had a whole new version of Jesus Christ, who, where God had a body, and he was still prophesying, and he was uh, in writing new books. And then all of a sudden, these people who believed really concretely this one thing, that therefore gives evidence to Joseph Smith being a prophet, because why would all of these people oh, who oh, yeah, in this time were only believing in this? It must be so convincing that this person who came to them was truly a messenger from God. I'm right. saying that the, there's 50,000 gods who have existed in right. the minds right. of, you know, the 8 billion people on earth right now. So yeah, I no, can't see how you're jumping from. Fair enough. Well, I actually, I, I use the exact comment. You understand that literally I've had people on literally like this. Okay. And I, and, I, and I tell people, as an atheist, I would have written this book. This is called The um, Witnessing Miracles, Historical Evidence for the Resurrection in the Book of Mormon. That if you believe in the resurrection, you cannot easily dismiss the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Because the argument is this, that you can make a better historical argument for the tangibility of the plates, which, and I talked with Dr. Richard Bushman about this in his book, The Joseph Smith's Gold Plates. We had a great conversation about that. But you, the argument is quite simply this. You can make a better argument in favor of the tangibility of the plates than you can of the resurrection and the exodus. So the reality is, is that the strongest argument of Christian apologetics can be applied to Mormonism better than any other uh, faith statement. So this is the thing, Kara. Like, you're making a legitimate argument, and I'm also making the same point, that this, this, the, that, that, that I am here to challenge your faith. And when I say challenge, I'm here to challenge evangelicals' faith. I'm here to challenge Latter-day Saints' faith and believers in the Book of Mormon. This is printed by the Church of Jesus Christ, by the way. The Bickerton Knights, my friend Josh Gailey, wrote this book. 
that 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 Mormonism presents a challenge to the Christian narrative and to to the idea of Scripture. But it's also really important because we get to see uh, the formation of a new religion. I tell people, I said, listen, if we were, you know, the advantage that Mormonism had for us is that we get to literally see a new religion pop up and new scripture pop up. And we get to hear from the opponents of this religion at the same time. We literally have within a few years a book called Mormonism Unveiled with affidavits from people who knew these people. I tell people, if you go back, if we had a first century book that was created during the time of Jesus Christ, called Christianity Unveiled, we'd have a much different view of Christianity. I'm sure it's much more messier and much more complicated than the narrative that we see in the Bible. I'm granting you all this. This is the thing. I'm not I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you, like, in my mind, I I, I, I actually, in many ways, agree with the arguments you're making, Kara. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pushing back on it because like, yeah, no, I, like, as an atheist, I think you make a valid point against religion in general. And, uh, you know, point taken. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you on that. I can, I say, I completely understand why you would take that position because that was a position I took not that long ago. If you're having this conversation with a literalist fundamentalist, it's a much more different conversation because mm-hmm. I'm grant, because I'm not trying to, uh, fight battles that I don't know are winnable in the 21st century anymore. Uh, I, I think it's time for us to progress as, as, as a faith tradition in another way of looking at scripture, having a high view of scripture, because it is an ancient document. That's really a fast, it's one of the, it's the most important documents ever created in human history. The impact that it's had is just incredible. It's the best-selling book of all time. So it's, it's worthy of our study and, and, and scrutiny. So I think that we need to look at the Bible and take it very seriously because it is one of the most important uh, documents ever produced uh, in human history. And we also need to look at the, the fruits of it, too, that we also look at Christianity. It has, it has been a force for good in many ways. Yes, of course, it's been a lot of things have been done in Christ's name. Uh, that, of course, are terrible at the same time. But I kind of try to find all the good that religious. This is the thing. I understand why atheists would want to say burn the whole thing down. Right? I get that because I was there not that long ago. But I also we have to recognize one thing. Religion is going to be with us as long as the human species exists. And what we need to do is we need to be able to find the good that religion does for people and embrace those good things, integrate that into our, into our lives. Because we are hardwired for belief in God and spirituality. We are spiritual animals. There's no question about it. I even tell people, so you can almost mark the spark of the divine was when we started finding human remains that were buried. And they were buried maybe with objects that were important to them or things that they would need in the afterlife. We also know another divine happening is when Margaret Mead said, we, we became human when we find humans with healed hip bones that there was a community and this idea that we were more than just animals. Now we are more than just meat. That was going to be roadkill that, that, Oh no, this, this, there's, there's more to, there's, there's more to life than just this, that there's this idea of an afterlife. There's an idea of something bigger than oneself. And so for me, that for us as a species to walk away from our answers, is because the reason why we are here as a species, is because we believed in something bigger than ourselves that gave us an evolutionary advantage. So to, for yeah. to me, that, that, that religion, that's the, the, the spirituality and the religion, that is what has actually helped uh, us as a species flourish. So uh, in my talkings uh, on the internet, one thing that I say commonly is similar things to what you say, because it is difficult to attack a problem without understanding the root causes of it. And I go back to our evolution and to our, you know, 
ubiquitous nature to seek after the divine, seek after spiritual experiences, seek answers to things, uh, seek a community and a fellowship of other people who believe similar things, certain things that are hardwired into our believing. The difference, though, is that the the corporate nature of religion, the way that it can be utilized to bring about wars, like we're seeing right now, a lot of people's belief that uh, the killing of innocent civilians in Gaza is necessary because Israel's state needs to exist to bring about their second coming. So very literally, people die as they do at this very day based on uh, fundamentals in in their religious text, adhering to them very, very tightly. So I am of the more persuasion that religion as an institution has far too much power to coerce the worst parts of us out of us than it does to coerce the best parts out of us because the best parts out of us do not serve that religions that is just kind of like a corporation in and of itself it does not serve uh, our best interests but it serves the, uh, the the people at the top so while spiritual experiences and finding a oneness with our humanity and all of us recognizing that we are the products of our genetics, our conditioning. There are certain things about us that we cannot change. We are in that that fight and that struggle together. When Jesus says, you've done it unto the least of me as my brethren, you've done it unto me. That type of idea that is the connectivity of our species, that when you harm somebody else, you are har actually harming yourself. I think that is core to uh, our, our humanity, recognizing that, coming back into contact, having a continual remembrance of that. My problem, though, is that when that is then taken away from us and the autonomy to then decide what is actually healthy for us is then decided by a religious institution. So most of the things that you are saying are, are things that I agree with, and I just kind of want to expand upon how I believe them. But uh, most of what you just said, though, you can have all of those things as a non-literal believer, as a agnostic atheist as uh, uh, many different things. You don't need to have them as a Christian. So what is the necessity of Christianity to you? Hmm, interesting. I think that, first of all, I, I always tell people, I said, I'm against the three. So, you know, so, so I, I tell people, I, I talked about this on Mormon stories. I said, you know, we have progressive Christianity and we have conservative Christianity. That's kind of like the two camps, you know, more like fundamentalist conservative and progressive liberal brands of Christianity. And I say, I'm a libertarian Christianity. I'm against institutional religion. Um, I'm a radical Protestant. And so in that sense, I do believe that we as individuals have a personal relationship with the Savior is the most fundamental thing that I think is most important. I tell people, so God doesn't care, and I don't care what building you go to on Sunday morning. The question I have for you is, do you have a personal relationship with the Savior? But what is that? Hold on, let me, before you go further, what is that personal relationship, though? What can you have through that relationship that you cannot have anywhere else? Well, Kara, you know, I, that's, that's a great question. And this is the thing, like I've been doing a, look, I've, I've started a new YouTube channel called the Utah Interfaith Forum because started off from a, a Facebook group uh, that was given to me. And so what I'm trying to do is, is broaden out the conversation to other religious traditions because yeah, I'm not trying to make claims about, about Christianity, that there is exclusivity in Christianity. Yes, in some makes it does some make some claims. Well, you're but not wearing also, a, a Wrangler shirt. That's just you are wearing a Jesus shirt. You are kind of I making a, a claim shirt. about Jesus. I, you're not wearing a Muhammad shirt. I'm telling you. Well, but <laughs> so that's a profession the, like right. walking in public, like professing like one person is God versus another. I think right. that kind of 
Well, Sorry, and that's the thing. What, that. what I'm trying to do is, is that I do believe that there's good in all people and there's good in all different religions. I told this story when I had Maven on my program. And it was in when I was in Utah last February for the movie screening. And we did that whole thing with Elder Pingree movie and all that and stuff. And, uh, you know, we were taping and, and, and I was, I did this Uber and there's this young guy who's like in his twenties and I asked him where he's from and he's from Pakistan. I'm like, wow. And he says, yeah, I'm a Muslim. And I just go to him and I say, oh, well, I said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Peace be upon him which is the term that you use as respect is for prophets within the Islam. I say that about Taylor Swift whenever I quote her, peace be upon her name. Okay, fair enough. And uh, so you're a Swifty. Okay, we'll have to to get into that in our next episode. Um, So I I was, he, he got, his eyes got really big and he's like, oh, see, I was speaking his language, which I think is really important to understand the other and understand their beliefs and then be respectful of the other because I do believe we're all created in God's image and that he's a fellow image bearer. And he's telling me his life story, how he ends up here, that as a young boy, his family, they were crossing the street. His brother, I think it was his younger brother or maybe older brother, his father and him are crossing the street. And this car comes barreling through and hits his brother and literally took him 15 minutes to go. His, his body flew so far, it took him 15 minutes to get to the body. And he gets there and he's still alive. And the kid ends up dying on the on the on the surgery table it's a tragic story oh my gosh and so it's like they and that turns out what the size the guy was in the mil- pakistani military and he was running late for something he was driving recklessly through the streets and when this family found out that this was the only son that the family had um that killed their son and they realized that they had that this this was their only son they they went and they said we're not going to press charges we forgive you and they forgave him these are Muslims. And I just tell people, I said, that is a radical form of agape love that I don't know if I could ever see any Christians practice. So if anything, I learned about Jesus from my Muslim friend in that Uber car that day. And so when I say Jesus, I'm talking about like, like, I feel like they, their forgiveness of this guy is like, it's an incredible story. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think most people could forgive. And then Jesus shows us that you can. And to me, that's a that's a Christ-like action right there. So here's where I want to push back on that Just is do. that, again, what I'm talking about is our, our highest consciousness of oneness with all humanity and that these labels and these gods that we uh, have decided to put into these boxes and, and labels, those are actually a disservice to our humanity by looking at somebody and saying that this Muslim person and the way that they practice their religion in a way that honors and lives up to the ideals that they want to emulate from their God is actually a reflection of my God. That is actually oh. doing a disservice to okay. the to the oh, no. to the humanity that hold on, let me finish of just yeah. the idea that like it should unite us. It kind of goes back to what I was saying before, where it almost sounds like you're arguing against your own point that we even need Christianity because the people who are doing these things in your mind, it's like you're saying that because, you know, there is one God, he is perfect and he is Christ as you understand him. That is not how, you know, billions of other people practice their faith and express good attitudes and humanity and love towards others. But it is, again, it is this, this our center of the universe idea that everyone else's good actions are still a reflection of God showing up to prove that God more faithful to me. 
And it sounds again, like you're kind of arguing against your point that we even need Christianity, that we even need yeah, religion because you know, I mean, that, it's that's ubiquitous because atheists can do all of that too. Uh, absolutely. No question about it. So I'm not, I'm not, look, I, I'm looking at it from the, look, I, I tell people, I said, listen, I am viewing things from the lens of coming from an evangelical background from a Christian background. That is, that is, the, those are the tools that are kind of afforded to me. So I recognize that that's probably my bias. You asked about biases earlier. So here that, we are. Yeah. So here we are. That's a bias. That is an acknowledged bias on my part. But yeah, am I looking things through, through things from a Christian lens? And, and that's a very fair um, critique. But I, I, I guess for me, what I'm trying to say is that this is what works for me. This is what gives me meaning in my life. And I, and I do have a piece that surpasses all understanding in my life. I do have all the depression, the anxiety and stress that I suffered with almost my entire life has been virtually removed. I mean, it's 99% gone. Like it's still there and I still have stress, but that's life. Right. But like, I, I feel like I, I had a remarkable dynamic thing happen to me that I would say was Jesus. Now, maybe somebody else from a different faith tradition is going to say something different and I'm not going to dispute it, Kara, because I get what you're saying. It's just that if, for me and my, con you could argue that I'm, I'm, I'm arguing, I'm, I'm going through a prism of, 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 as being raised in a Christian world in a Christian community that I'm, 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 I'm interpreting all these things through that lens. Granted. Absolutely. Granted. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. You're uh, definitely an honest actor. As long as I, we can, we can keep talking. Cause there's a lot of things that you say that kind of crop up and I go, wait a second. So thank sure. you for being so gracious to let me kind of push back on this stuff. Absolutely. Um, especially cause I, I understand fully Nobody understands better than me what it is like to find a lot of peace, solidarity, belonging with um, ideas that, of course, bring you comfort. It is, it is the, it is that sword though that cuts both ways that I want to ask you about. So, where does it become justified though for things that bring you meaning? Bring me meaning. Bring any person, religious, otherwise, bring us meaning but then step on the human rights of others and that the, the beliefs themselves bring pain. And one example would be uh, you can't really have Christianity without atonement theology, which I think falls directly out of a alignment with what we understand best practices, psychologically speaking, uh, for how a, a true atonement, I would say, a true uh, healing would actually take place are completely opposed from what Christians teach about atonement theology. And so holding on to these ideas that I had when I was Christian, um, if you're new to my channel and you're just watching, I went through a very long seven year Jesus free phase while I was Mormon. And I had many, many beautiful experiences. Yes. Um, but the meaning that I was finding and, and doubling down on at the same time was leading me to, uh, into a, a path of beliefs that alienated me from actually truly loving other people because in that meaning that I found in that atonement theology, I was not able to understand people that that, uh, that, that atonement is not going to reconcile them to the, the God that I think that they should worship, that they would find peace in, that the answers that I had for them are never going to actually bring about their highest flourishing and follow up to that is I did listen to your interview with the Palestinian LDS man talking about Israel a couple of weeks ago. And I have some responses to it 
in my upcoming Israel-Palestine video from oh, Ex-Mormon's okay. point of view. And one of the main things that you guys were discussing was about the necessity of people turning to Christ, in, that the restoration in Jesus Christ and, you know, repenting from anti-Semitism and things like that are the means in which we heal. So it's like these things that bring you meaning, yes, but then you follow that that line that leads us to talking about actual geopolitical matters and so forth that have real world ramifications that are that your meaning, your comfort is now actually taking its toll on a global population or just people within your community. It could be people within your family. My mom's meaning that she found within converting to Mormonism was nice for her and all coming from a very abusive background, but that meaning then manifested itself in, uh, again, atonement theology and Mormonism, homophobia, racism, uh, different, uh, a lot of different problematic things that now you, you, yeah, you, you really can't keep that good without also forwarding a lot of bad. So where for you, uh, do you take that meaning that you get and then draw the line and understand that that meaning has, uh, um, problems for a lot of other people? Mm, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate the thought you put into that, um, question. And, you know, I remember John, have, have, interviewing John Lynn one time and he also, he talked about the importance of, uh, we need to all have epistemological humility. And so I think that is true that if we think we have, if we have a truth claim, we still need to make sure that we don't use that as a, a as a cudgel to, or, or weaponize it either. And I think that that, I actually think that when you could argue is a Jewish understanding of in the 10 commandments, thou shall not take God's name in vain. And that is thou shall not use, uh, um, use God's name to justify evil behavior. And well, how, wait, let me, let's wait, let me just pause so we can go one thing at a time. But Christianity itself is a weaponized type of religion because you don't have Christianity. There's no safe version of Christianity because the very uh, ideas of being saved versus not being saved in and of itself is used as a weapon. It's used as a, uh, you will not be able to be with me in this eternal bliss. You will be in hell. Even if you want to parse out like the things that were written later and things that were added about uh, hell and destruction and things like that, in and of itself, it is a divisive religion that is weaponized. Do you see what I mean? Like you have to, you either have to bleed, you have. I mean, tell, yeah, tell that, the, to, tell, tell that, tell that to the, the Christians that were slaughtered in the first century by Nero. I mean, I don't think that was a weaponized Christianity. I think this was the, the persecuted church is the true church. The church that is, uh, is is doesn't have any power is the it's, yeah but i'm talking not about the people who practice it necessarily but the ideas wherever they are employed regardless of who persecutes them the ideas themselves can be weaponized i think you can say that i mean i mean i know i mean we could look at the writings of Karl marx and how they were uh weaponized in the 20th century um and the tens of millions um that died yeah and i'm not justifying that either right. i'm saying <laughs> the right. the but what I'm saying is that man is 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 the root cause of, of of evil in many ways. So what I'm saying is that Christianity at its start was a pacifistic religion. It was based on the fundamental principle of turning the other cheek and loving your enemy. But it was also based fundamentally on, uh, you know, ideas of hell uh, to go all throughout the Bible. So while Jesus Christ is. It, again, there's this cherry picking that, is, that can happen a, within religion because the 
the there are many beautiful passages of Jesus Christ, which I think he was tapping into this type of Christ consciousness that I that I love and I still quote from. But then by the at the same time, though, it is it is scapegoating, you know, your sins and the things that you have done wrong for a blood sacrifice, for a fulfillment of this like <laughs> this this uh this human sacrifice to put your wrongdoing on somebody else like that in and of itself. And then the, the weaponizing, I would say also of like the, the, that person, because they did those things for you, you cannot then uh, have a healthy view of yourself in relationship to God because he is so above you. He is so separate from you. He came down, he atoned for you. You should be continually guilty for the wrongs that you do because uh, what, what he has done for you in contrast to how you act will never be enough. And then again, that's what I'm talking about with like, just not the best psychological practices for bringing about human flourishing. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think what we're saying, I think what you're describing to me is fundamentalist Christianity. And I'm, I am not of that. I would say that the use and abuse of Christianity has been one of the most great, greatest tragedies of, 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 of that's happened. That we have this this idea that, you know, this is the other thing, too, is that, you know, our understanding of hell really comes out of uh, medieval uh, Dante's Inferno. Yeah, even if what, even that. if I know that. But, so even if but, we take that, though. But, but right. But this is the other thing, though, too. I think that when we read, see, there's four different words that are used as, that, that in the English Bible are given are, are called hell. And of course, like a shield. We have Hades, we have um, Gethsemane, um, or Gehenna, excuse me, Gehenna, and uh, we have one more. Either way, uh, but they're all translated into hell in our English Bibles. And actually, within the first century context that we we're talking about, I don't think that the idea of hell um, would be later evolve into something very ugly. I don't know if, I don't think first century Christianity had a fully developed doctrine of hell like we have. And I also don't yeah. think that it was necessarily, um, they were basically, they just believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfilled Messiah in the Bible. I don't think they were even thinking. And, and also Jesus's context of, you understand, he was an apocalyptic preacher that was using apocalyptic language to describe the destruction of the city of God and the destruction of the temple, the abode of God. This is the apocalypse. This is the apocalypse that actually happened. And how is so, that not weaponized then? Well, it has been because of mis well, because how is, of the 19th how is not century. Has been? How is it not intended to be weaponized? Like how because, is it not inherently a weapon? Because 19th century Christianity took a lot of the stuff in the book of Revelation and decided these were future events and they weren't past events. But you just said that Jesus Christ was an apocalyptic preacher. That's apocalyptic what I'm saying. Preacher. You're yes. saying that's what he was. I'm saying, how can you be an apocalyptic preacher and that is not used as a weapon? Because I think it's the misunderstanding of what Jesus was talking about with the apocalypse. He was not talking about a future event in the end days. He was talking about an imminent event that was going to happen within their lifetimes and his destruction of the temple which is an apocalypse because it's a city of God that was destroyed. It was the abode of God that was destroyed here on earth. Man's one connection to God was in the, the Holy of Holies and temple and he gets severed. That's an apocalypse. What happens is that later Christianity takes taking everything out of context now makes these things into futurism as opposed to things that happened in the past. And therefore now we have this apocalyptic Christianity that I don't know of is, is, is appropriate as an appropriate understanding of what Christianity is all about. In one sense, Jesus Christ is king. He is he is he's victorious over sin and death. And, and and what he did at the cross is what you know saves humanity. What we need to understand is that a lot of the things that we think were were that was meant for a first century audience. The Bible was not written uh, 
to us. It was written for us. It was written to those people, the, the original uh, communities. It was written to them as a warning and as how to function in this time of persecution and tribulation, which is what they were going through. The Christian church could have been wiped out very easily, and it wasn't. So this was a, this was a message delivered to a particular people in a particular place and time. And it needs to be understood in that context. The problem is, is that we have this bad theology that has now kind of hijacked these books and then is trying to make them uh, fit into some kind of grand cosmic scheme that I don't necessarily think there is. Is there? I think I think a lot of this stuff already happened, and we're we're trying to make these into future events. That's kind of how I see it. Like I'm 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 pretty radical in my views here, but but I do think that trying to understand the original audience and who was it intended to, and who then when they're reading the Book of Revelation, folks. Okay, you understand. There's there's arguments about when the Book of Revelation was was actually written. So a lot of the scholars say 90 A.D. I propose that there was a proto proto apocalypse that was that was being um, uh, distributed in the community pre A.D. 70 because there's writings in the Book of Revelation that implies the temple's still standing because it goes and basically says, hey, you can go do these measurements yourself. So I think there's this proto uh, apocalypse that's that that's being uh, is being taught is being distributed in the early church community, and it has this number, the number of man, okay, and this is this number is six six six, and everybody who would have read it would have known exactly who they were talking about. It was talking about Emperor Nero as the beast. So this is an actual the the this quote, what we would call Antichrist or the beast was actually a, a a real character that anybody reading the original text would actually realize like, oh, this is the 666 actually equals Emperor Nero's full, full name. And then there are some manuscripts in Latin where, because the Greek is 666, in Latin it's 616. Well, guess what? 616 is, is Emperor Nero's name in Latin. So to me, it's like the message is really clear that we're living in the end times right now. The Antichrist is Emperor Nero, and, uh, and and this is the tribulation. I, I honestly think that that's the that's the reading that we need to look at the apocalyptic literature. That these are past events, and I think the great tragedy is people decided to make them future events. Okay, two quick things. Uh, so even as what you're saying though that it is written to the certain audience with these apocalyptic end time beliefs. Going on with what you said before about God is perfect, but the fingerprints of men will be all over this. It just seems to me, though, what you're saying, though, even if you're not directly saying it, is that what I'm getting from what you're saying, though, at least, is that a perfect God through imperfect people will be telling them that there is an apocalyptic end days coming, writing a book of instruction for a certain group of people that he does not have a contingency plan for, though, when the theology is changed, knowing full well that he is he is writing this book with imperfect men for a certain end times that is not going to be coming about, knowing full well that is what he is doing, yet when it is still going to be carried forward, since he is God and he would know everything, that book will be used in every century all the way up till 2023 and be wholly misconstrued so that the God if his intentional goal is to show his perfection, show his uh, his uh, worship ability, show his divinity, know us, the means by which he does it is anything but. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I think that uh, you have to understand that the Bible as we know it wasn't actually fully constructed until just a few hundred years ago. 
So the thing is, is that like, like the Bible, like most of Christianity, most of the regular folks didn't have access to the Bible and the Bible as it, it really became the Bible, as we understand it in the popular sense that it was actually that, that we had access to has only been a few hundred years. So a lot of the theology that you're criticizing is actually our uh, new, uh, new, new, new things that are only a couple hundred, two to 300 years old. Well, that, that begs that, the that, question then that, so what do you believe about people who were not able to read the Bible, not able right. to understand or know this God? It, it It's more a question about the nature of God is what it comes down to me, uh, because I used to believe in the best ideals of God, the best nature of God. Uh, but I just felt like through his supposed actions, I could not substantiate that belief uh, that the the God that I thought would have a place for everybody in heaven, one, I, I can't. Uh, draw that anywhere from the scriptures myself it actually goes uh, against that that the ideas of uh, one all-loving God is actually something that I put my perspective onto God but is not evident from the scriptures or from history itself so okay. if you want to kind of explain your beliefs on what happens to people who who do not know God who do not know Jesus okay so I think yeah this is really interesting because I think what there's a conversation, there's a millennial old conversation that Christian philosophers and thinkers have been having with God, with, with the scriptures and everything like that, and with the ideas of Christianity. And so these are very thoughtful things. Now, the thing is, is that if we're, if we're, if we're making Christianity uh, one thing, which is literalist and fundamentalist, that, that is only one uh, expression of Christianity that we're talking about, because Christianity in its broadest sense in the community is, is a very thoughtful faith that grapples with the very questions that you brought up. The questions that you're bringing up are very much a post-enlightenment view of things, a very rationalistic way of looking at it, and it's understandable. But the idea that within Christianity is that, that, it's, that there's also a greater ancient tradition in the Orthodox tradition and even in the Catholic tradition in which there, especially in the Eastern Orthodox, that, that God is almost unknowable. And it's so incomprehensible that our, our attempts to even describe them are futile. And I also think that when the questions you're asking are definitely great questions to ask Somebody takes takes the Bible 100% literally and is a fundamentalist because I, I grapple with these questions too. And I think the best answer is quite simply this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the means in which we achieve eternal um, et eternal life. This is, just, this is just a statement of faith that I'm making. And you can push back mm -hmm. on me all you want. This is, I'm making a faith statement. And as sure. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's a second member of the Trinity. I do believe in uh, the creedal Christianity is, uh, has been very helpful to me, um, keeping me in line in many ways. And then again, this is man's best attempt. Creedal Christianity, the Trinity is described in the creeds. These are just man's futile attempts, if you will, to describe the divine. So I look at it as Jesus is the Savior, but, he's, but, he, but I also believe that he's the Savior for all of humanity. And I, and I don't think that the person who never heard his name or read the Bible is con condemned to eternal damnation. If anything, I do think in one sense that Joseph Smith gets hell right in that, and I've said this before, and this is not an obscene or uh, this is like, this is not a position that is not without some merit. Because I remember having this talk with this Christian one time last year, and he's like, well, when you think about it, Steve, like, 
you know, about a third of the world, when you count the Orthodox and the Catholics and all the Christians, like that's like a third of the world's population are Christians. Like that's pretty good. They're all going to heaven. I went to him. I said, well, that's good enough to maybe get you into the baseball hall of fame. You get a hit one out of every, you bat 300, you're going to be in the baseball's hall of fame. But I don't think that's good enough for what Jesus did at the cross. I think it's a failure. God's a failure of only a third of humanity that's only been around for the last 2000 years gets into heaven, totally uh, saying, condemning everybody who existed before, I think it's like 115 billion people have lived on this planet at some point, that, that for me, it's, it's a very small God that, that you're making an argument that sounds inclusive. Oh, wow, a third of people going to heaven. I'm looking, well, what are the, the two thirds that are eternal damnation? I think that Joseph Smith kind of, kind of taps into this when he talks about eternal punishment, eternal punishment, um, and yeah, what is it? Eternal, uh, eternal uh, punishment. And there was another term he used. I forget at the time. I'm having a brain fart right now. But eternal is just another word for God. And so I think that when the context is, is I kind of look at um, uh, the C.S. Lewis view of the afterlife, and that is everybody goes to heaven, but it will be hell for those who don't want to be there. And I think that that malevolent actors, as I look this way, I mean, look, I do believe that evil exists. I can see evil in the hearts of men. I was going to see a lot of good, but there are people who really are not good. And I don't think they would want to be in the presence of goodness. And for them, that will be hell. But to me, that's justice. But I do think that a just God, an all-loving God, all those who seek will find him. He's not playing hide and seek. It's not like, hey, I found Jesus. He's buying the couch, you know, that kind of thing. I do think that um, there's there's a fundamental view that I look at that's it definitely is, I hate to use the term universalistic um, just because of the baggage that comes with that. But I think there is a universal, universality to uh, the salvation experience. I do not believe in predestination. I do not believe that it's just an elect few that make their way into the presence of God. I do believe that we are all images of him. We are created in his image, and therefore we are all going to be with him in, in the eternities. And I, I just I just don't, I, you know, I, if, I, if I'm a fundamentalist Christian, I'm pushing back, but I, I, I just, I'm not. I'm just not a fundamentalist Christian. I'm not a literalist. I'm, I'm an evangelical Christian who's very nuanced, who loves Jesus, but more importantly, loves humanity. And as I consider myself a Christian humanist, I, I consider myself somebody who just really lose the goodness that I think is in my life is because of Jesus. I also think that I'm capable of doing a lot of bad things in my life too. And that's the bad part of our humanity. I want to focus on the good parts and, 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 and cultivate that and try to have Jesus work through me in my life. That's, that's, I call it Jesus. You could call it karma. You can call it anything you want, Kara. I'm not going to tell you, you have to call it Jesus, but I call it Jesus. Yeah. I, uh, thank you for sharing that. I definitely, uh, know exactly where you're coming from. Uh, again, more hard questions. My brain just has a million different things flying off the shelf of say this or say this. So, uh, you have a couple more minutes in you. I have a couple other questions I want to ask. So no, I don't, I don't see you at all in any way. Uh, a fundamentalist Christian whatsoever, but I do see that you are uh, kind of uh, picking and choosing the ones that are the most palatable for your uh, movement through the world. And kind of, and so, for instance, redefining hell, the way that you described it, I don't know of anybody who would kind of describe hell in the way that you just described it 
as a Christian, yeah. as a, yes. as a, yes, as yes, a yes. person who proclaims to be like a, a follower of Jesus Christ. But then it's like, hell is just a place where you'll be very uncomfortable. Uh, like that seems like a more palatable, palatable version of, of Christianity that has again, such potential to be weaponized and it is by the majority of people. I agree. That's and I think that I'm when at. we see Christianity weaponized, we see uh, that that's heretical Christianity. Say so that one I'm, more time. So that's heretical Christianity. When Christianity is weaponized, it's a heresy. And so when you say, I don't see any Christians that this is C.S. Lewis's version of hell one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century. This is also the version that many Christian thinkers have had throughout the centuries. This is not, this is not a unique thing that just popped in my head. This is actually part of the Christian tradition that needs right. to be cultivated. And, and, and it is a pushback against the weaponization of Jesus. Okay, but here's the thing, though, is that it, what you just said, though, is that there are Christian thinkers throughout time. And when I was Christian, I love C.S. Lewis because, again, of that palatability, but it actually is in conflict with what we have revealed as apparent words from God. The best that we have from, like you said, a perfect God using imperfect people with this Bible that's been around for so long. If it is in con, if it, why would, why would God need C.S. Lewis? Why would God need, you know? No, God wants to have a conversation with us. See, this is the dialogue that we are having with the divine. But he did, this, but this conversation, uh, this conversation is that conversation with the divine. See, the, at the very core of Judaism, it's the idea of questioning God, bargaining with him, having you know Abraham talking to him. It's a very Jewish thing, having the conversation with the divine. That's what he wants. I love that. I I, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that. I think about. it's about having I think the, this uh, is a divine. You understand, Kara, this is a divine conversation you and I are having right now. I feel it because uh, I what I'm trying to what I always try to get across to my audience is that, you know, you come from a very black and white high demand fundamentalist type of religion like Mormonism that takes away your autonomy and your intuition and kind of puts it off on somebody else to be responsible for. And the best conversations you have are the ones going deep within yourself and reigniting your ties to humanity, to yourself, to your intuitions that had been snuffed out and superseded by priesthood authority or by trying to please your parents or things like that. That is the ongoing journey, I think, of every human being of any religion or non-religion is to find that divinity within that ongoing conversation within themselves, the shadow parts of themselves they don't want to confront that like the, the things though of religion, of Christianity is to me though, it's, it's a conversation with, again, putting that off on uh, what would you have me do? What would you, what, uh, how can I better please you, Lord? How can I better show up for you? What would you have me do? We're not recognizing that that divine conversation be, should be had first uh, with recognizing the wholeness that's within yourself, that you are not incomplete because Christianity is so much based around this idea that you have a God shaped hole inside of you that only Jesus Christ can fill. Or I would say that uh, everything is interconnected. And when we recognize that when we uh, have those conversations and go deep within ourselves, when we are more, more, more whole. And like I was saying, when you do the least unto these, my brethren, you do them unto me that, that God is trying to say that, that, that as the highest of high deity, he's saying, the least of these, are you doing them unto me? Okay. And that doesn't work for me though. If you are taking a literal interpretation of a literal God kind of that is above us as humans 
and saying, you do this unto the least, you then you get your reward because you are, you are actually pleasing God, but is still in the service of pleasing that God, which what I think Jesus and these different teachers are trying to say is that he is us, that we are him, that we are all part of this, this human species, like you were talking about earlier with evolution and uh, caring for the sick and needy in our community, that just by doing those things, doing that service, you are doing that to yourself. And to, to outsource that, to do that for somebody else, to do that for somebody in a higher position, all it does is it just feeds an ego problem that is actually what needs to be dismantled within our psyche. That there is no love, there is no ubiquitous spirituality that we are trying to strive for if it is in the service of our ego, which is what I feel like religion is. And that's what I feel like cherry picking is, is that I have the correct interpretation of what this God he didn't lay it out clearly here, but I picked the right portions of it. I've got the right understanding of it. When I think that that is just, again, a, a, a delusion of our ego trying to speak on behalf of ourselves, thinking that we have the right answers. When I'm like, no, the the best types of, of Christianity is the, the best types of Christianity, whatever kind of religious practices are recognizing like the divine within us, not just saying that we're image bearers of God, but there's, there's an equality between all, uh, all of reality that is all in harmony and oneness. And you can either think that you, you know, it all and that you have, you, you bring an ego into it, or you can say, I don't know it all. All I know is that I, uh, I feel a sense of intuition with myself and that's all that I can speak on behalf of. That's kind of, where I, I make a summary of where I am versus where you are. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think that actually that's a, there's actually very little of what you said that I would actually disagree with. Um, I think that again, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing back against many of the same forces that you're pushing back against. And I'm, I'm doing it within the context of a Christian lens. I think that there's some, there's vitality and beauty to the Christian faith and tradition that is uh, humanistic. It is also uh, the idea of being partakers of the divine, that we are also created in his image is really important, that we are part of the spiritual community that's in communion with God, the divine. And so to me, I think that what we do is we build these institutions and buildings, and that's what separates us from God. Bureaucracies do. And I'm just talking about religion in general. I'm not going after any particular group. I think this that man man invented religion. God wants relationship. And if religion gets in the way of relationship, then you're you're not you're not getting it. And that the thing is is that I'm not going to mm-hmm. go and say that well this 2000 year uh ancient document, this book collection of sayings and writings is going to be I'm going to take it super literally. And I'm going to follow this to the letter of the law. I think I'm also, you're also missing the point. But that is just the introduction to the conversation with the divine, all warts and all. And that this conversation needs to evolve and grow mm-hmm. and not be stuck in some kind of like, a, you know, in a textbook or within a, within a theological system or, or whatever you, all these man-made things that are been, that, that are man's a best attempt to try to describe God, but then they often become weaponized and used against people. Like I love the creeds, but then I don't love the fact that you were burning people at the, at the stake that deviated from them. Even John freaking Calvin, I come from the reformed tradition. He burned somebody at the stake because he had a different view of the Trinity than he did. And it's like, that's bullshit. Okay. Like, no, you're missing the point. If you think 
that you can attack somebody or kill them because they have a different understanding of the divine. You are, you are, uh, you are betraying the very essence of who we are as spiritual beings. And so you are now using the parts, the bad parts of humanity mm-hmm. that, 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 that we need to push back again, push against and fight back. We got to fight the inner demons that are in our life and part of that. These are things that also are part of the human story too. the bad things that we're capable of doing. And, and we need to embrace the, the good and realize that, Hey, I've got this faith journey that I am on. It's my faith journey and no one else's. And I'm not going to, and I also recognize that I have a bias in favor of Christianity. I totally get that. Eyes wide open. Thank you for, by the way, asking that bias question, because as we're having this conversation, of course, obviously, I have a bias. I'm a Christian. (laughs) And that's fair. That's absolutely fair. I'm using the tools that I have. But I'm also learning. See, this is the other thing, too. God gave us the most complex instrument in the universe, the human brain. And he wants us to use it. Unfortunately, fundamentalist religion uh, punishes you for using it. And that's what we got to push back up against, Kara. So I think that 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 to me is why I call this a divine conversation we're having today, because we are two spiritual animals having a divine talk. Beautifully put. All right. You know me. You know I'm picking out things that you said where I go, but I don't. Here we go. So uh, again, when I was a Christian, I I believed those same things too about how it is about a relationship, not religion. Trust me, I preach that all day, every day, but how do we decide and by what metric do we decide the correct relationship with our maker, with Jesus Christ or somebody else deciding the correct metric? How do you know that you're doing that relationship right? I think that God loves us unconditionally and he doesn't care if we get it wrong or get it right. Well, that's, see, that's, that's, where, that's, that's where we have to start this whole conversation over because it's like, what's the point of any of this? If the God that you're worshiping doesn't, it doesn't matter to him if we're doing it right or wrong. And that in the very service of him, in heart. the relationship with him. The most, that, the most important thing is he knows our hearts and that's where it's at because look, we're fallible. We're not, we're not perfect. So a perfect entity is going to have, I, I recognizes that we're not perfect but we're striving for something we're striving for a relationship. And I think that's, what's so important in that way. So, yeah, I don't, I, I, it's a very human thing to try to understand like, okay, what is the correct church? What is the correct belief system? These are, these are very human questions to ask. And I totally get why you're asking them. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I I feel like, look, look, Jesus gave us a real, actually, he kind of gave us the roadmap here. He said, you'll know them by their fruits. And what are these fruits? These are, you know, the, the actions that we'll see produced from this person. If I see love, if I see Jesus, if I see, or we can call it whatever, charity and, and kindness and taking care of people, if I see that, then I know that's a, that's, that's, that's somebody that's, that's a, they have the fruits. And then if I don't see any of that, then I have real questions about who they are and what they, mm-hmm. and what, and really what they say. I, I tell people, said, there are atheists that will give me the shirt off their back and there are, and there, but I know a bunch Do you of want my windbreaker. Yes. No. Um, it's not my color. <laughs> um, no, but uh, but actually, if I come there and I don't have a jacket and I'm cold, I'll come knocking on your door and use it. Um, You're welcome. But I will be atheist. There are atheists who will give you the shirt off their back, and there will be Christians that will stab you in the back, so-called Christians. And so I, I look at it that way. That's how I see it. It's just a real simple thing. Like I, we got we, we got screwed over by this guy. 
with the floors, claiming to be a Christian, claiming to be all this kind of stuff. It was just bullshitting us. So I just realized, okay, that's that's life, right? I mean, you know, it was stupid on our part because we both, mom and I's bullshit detectors both got activated by this guy, but we had the word of a friend who, told, who vouched for him. And unfortunately, I think this person was snookered by this guy. It's an unfortunate situation. It's very sad to see. That's mm-hmm. why I'm really ca- reluctant. I'm very careful. See, you understand, like, I don't go around and like, I wear this Jesus t-shirt because I'm honoring uh, Kara's Jesus freak phase, okay? I don't normally wear religious... Uh, apparel because i really feel like a, a certain sense of suspicion when i see somebody with with their jesus all jesus up because i'm like oh that, i wonder if that that person's going to probably try to take advantage of me so i i feel very i'm very careful about how i present myself in public and with my faith because i i, I don't I, I don't want people to come kind of think that i'm like i'm a con man or i'm trying to sell them something um i'm gonna have to rethink the whole flat brim hat now thing but um so this this is like for me yeah. like I don't know, Kara. It's like, it's a very complex thing because literally most of my life, I was like basically a fundamentalist Christian. Then I was basically a fundamentalist atheist. (laughs) And now I'm a nuanced person who thinks somewhat deeply about these questions and is at peace now. I'm at peace with my, I'm, I'm at peace with everything. I'm here to rock that boat. (laughs) If, if, if I die and that's it, I'm okay with that. You know, I've, I've, as an atheist, I kind of learned to accept that this might be it. And actually, it's kind of a gift because it's still like, it's like, hey, if this is it, like I said, believe that there's a God, but live that as though this is it. <laughs> and it kind of has given me the ability to live in a, a very, a, a, with, with freedom. I have a lot of Christian, uh, just, I have a lot of freedom in my life because I have been able to uh, remove all the baggage, the fundamentalist baggage that I grew up in. And I really feel like I am an individual who's been liberated from a lot of the uh, the authoritarian um, religion uh, bureaucracies that men that men create, and I've been able to kind of just uh, not allow those institutions to get in the way of my uh, having a relationship with God and the divine. To me, that that's the most important thing that's happened to me. It's just like I literally can do and say anything I want. I don't have to worry about anything anybody has to say, and I don't have to worry about being excommunicated. I don't have to worry about going, you know, in some hearing and you know have all, everything questioned. I there are many evangelical pastors who actually share my same views. There are many evangelical pastors that are very similar in my beliefs they'll lose their job if they said what I was saying. I'm, I'm trying to create a safe space for those evangelicals that want to be able to say the things that I'm able to say. I want them to be able to have a place to say those things too, because I think it's really important. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate all of the nuanced approach to all of that. So I totally uh, understand. And again, the nuanto reads you, there needs to be kind of a safe landing and in between spot when you're choosing between fundamentalist or interpretations or just like abandoning your faith. Uh, yeah, there's a progression of kind of understanding, but what I, uh, from what you've explained so far, though, from your journey of fundamentalist evangelical to hardcore atheist, and now back to this nuanced perspective, all I can take away though, is, uh, seeing somebody kind of who has a different goalpost based on the different ends that they want to meet, whether that be curing different depressions or holding on hope for an afterlife or finding community. Uh, But the things that you've said, though, still kind of stick in my brain. For instance, like 
by your fruits, you shall know them was kind of your answer to my response about how and by what metric we know if we are in the correct, the best relationship with Jesus God, with, with, with Jesus Christ, and that we will, that, that God will know our hearts. But the thing is, is I uh, got deconverted pretty hardcore based on one simple principle from my Christianity, which was the concept of, of free will and the absence of free will and the understanding that we are the products of our genetics and our conditioning. And so to be conditioned means to have different inputs and education onto what good fruits look like, onto what God will see in our heart. That is where I kind of want to wrap up this podcast, that uh, the, the ways that we try to make our community proud and make our ideas of what we are told God is proud are hyper-conditioned. We cannot separate that we are in a, in a space, religious institutions, in whatever societies that we're brought up in and expect that we can solely be the ones who God knows our hearts outside of the conditioning that has told us what that God is seeking after. So for example, my parents, they are always talking about the good fruits of Mormonism, the good fruits of Mormonism. And I will say to them, like the fruits of Mormonism more than anything, just ask like Lindsay Hanson Park about the Mormonism is the history of polygamy more than anything else. The fruits of Mormonism are Warren Jeffs. The fruits of Mormonism uh, are a lot of subjugation and abuse of women and children. And so you can't just take like these, these good ideas about these loving attitudes of peace and, and the good fruits that you see of a community that brings you casseroles and you have a place to serve and you have temple ordinances that give you meaning without removing it from the doctrines that have caused a lot of people harm because they were conditioned. The fruits of what made a good fruit to Mormons, for instance, was how many wives you had. What made you a good person in relationship with God was, you know, uh, how orthodox you were to the text, how you showed up for your religion when it is looked at by the other people around you in your community that will move you up the, the leadership and ranks uh, priesthood wise. So that's where the good fruits argument really falls apart for me because your fruits of what you are going to express the the relationship that you're going to express is very very conditional on your environment so that will be kind of my last piece of uh just wishing you all of the mental health and happiness and joy and you know reformation in that uh florida evangelical community and we didn't get into talking about you uh and and your uh attraction to men or what that oh yeah we didn't even talk difference. about that so you're gonna have to change it there's a change the title. I know we have to say that for a second one. Maybe my comment section can tell me if they have any other questions. And uh, especially checking out your channel, uh, you get a whole range of different type of people from Marxists like me to uh, Palestinian Mormons. Just kidding. That Marxist thing is a joke. I call myself a dirty commie first before other people have the chance to be like, I already cut you off. I already know what you're going to call me. So anyway, <laughs> that is, that's kind of my wrap up, but I yeah. um, wanted to give you a chance to say anything in response to what I just said and let people know where to follow you and where to find you. 
And I just want to read to you what are the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, Long peace, suffering. patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So this is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for how many wives you had or anything like that. The, the, but I get what you're saying. But I also realize is that when we look into um, evolutionary uh, study, the, uh, study evolutionary behavior, we find that most of the many uh, species in the animal kingdom understand the idea of reciprocity, empathy. Um, they have these values. They, they know what's unfair and what's unjust. Um, so they have this innate, they have an innate understanding of what is fair. Um, I mean, it's really fascinating the work that we're doing at the animal kingdom, recognizing that they even have a sense of right and wrong as well. Totally. So it's not like some kind of institutional, like, like these systems that cause them that are controlled by these powerful people. That no, made that's them not my claim. Way. If that was misunderstood. Right. No, my okay. end claim is, is exactly in line with that, that okay. we are involved from other life right. beings. The earth did not start okay. 7,000 years ago with Adam and Eve. Oh, Therefore uh, we have uh, like this, inherent intuition right. yeah. uh, okay i get it now but, but those, but those animals, inherent but yeah. institutions can also be taken advantage of and twisted by people as well and been taken especially the ones of. who claim to talk for god and that you don't talk for him as exclusively as they talk for him yeah. and that the ways that they see good fruits you may disagree but yep. for x y and z reasons that disagreement will take you to hell whatever so this is the thing you know and i think really care this was an important conversation an important yeah. dialogue that we're having i think that it's also indicative of the kind of conversations i'm having on with my channel where i literally have lgbtq people on i have atheists some of the top atheists come on i have some of the top critics of the church come on some of the top uh, scholars of mormonism come on some of the most faithful mormons you could possibly think of come on my program as well and i let them have this conversation and treat with them with dignity and respect and and just let them say their part and let them talk. And that to me is like really important because I feel like I'm trying to model how does civil dialogue work and how can we have respectful conversations, even with people, one, we can't stand. Look, I have people on my show that I don't like. I have people on my show that I can't stand. They don't know it. Name them. Are they <laughs> uh, yeah. Tara? Dang it. Oh, man. So that's when we do like a, like a 24 hour live thing where we're just, uh, we're talking like we're on some marathon where we're just talking and then you'll get me in like into hour 12 or 13 and I'm kind of delusional. Open the vault, Steve. Yeah. Then all of a sudden I'll just start saying, yeah, saying a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You might, might maybe then be able to get me to read those names, but that's the thing. Like to me, I'm like showing that like, you know, even if you don't like somebody, it doesn't mean that you have to be, uh, mean to them or cruel to them you know i think i hope i hope i have not been mean or cruel i was just trying to oh no no i think you're look, I, I, I think love, the audience will hopefully get Kara, the, uh, the I think we pally pals yeah no i think, I, think you're, I really do appreciate you i really found uh, look and i don't hate there's a lot of people in my chat didn't like care on my program got some negative comments people say i tried watching but oh you know there's, there's a, not a good spirit i know exactly where i lost them yeah. and that is fine with me yeah and i'm like okay that's fine but they're, they were appreciative that, they, that you were on because they get it now. They understand. Like everybody comes on my show. Everybody gets a chance to say their piece. And that's really important. And I want to thank you, Kara, so much for letting me come on your program Absolutely. and saying my piece. Yeah, I think you did a great job of uh, explaining your beliefs. Sorry if I pushed back a little bit too hard, but my brain was just going a mile a minute because uh, I think you have that same thing that I have where I have a a Christian in the back of my mind that's kind of are always arguing with the atheist self and has those. So I think you have like that atheist in the back of your mind exactly. that's always kind of arguing with the beliefs that you now hold. So I think that you uh you know how to express your beliefs and you're definitely living the most nuanced version um, and hopefully the healthiest version that blesses you, your family, your community, and that's all 
that the nuance ho could ask for. So I've never walked in your shoes. I've never walked in any other person's shoes. I just know that for me and with Mormonism, Christianity, certain types of uh, religious institutions, especially that, again, outsource so much of this intuition and, and autonomy to serve somebody else's interests instead of your own is just not the the best, healthiest way. But there are definite, definite uh, modes and continuing ideas that will always unravel that help people on their journeys. And I've never walked in every single person's shoes. It's not my right to tell them. I, I won't be your friend or I don't like you or I think that you're just like a horrible person if you don't do what I would do, but I'm not in their situations. And so I'm not in your situation. I hadn't had your life, but thank you for taking the time to explain your life and your beliefs. Hopefully my audience gets some good nuanced perspectives from me and Steve over at Mormon Book Reviews. So it's Mormon Book Reviews um, is the name of the YouTube channel. But primarily, I'm a YouTube podcaster, so just go to YouTube and check me out there. My email address is uh, mormonbookreviews at gmail.com. Anything else you want to say? I had fun today. Okay. I had fun, too. So this is a fun discussion. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you want to support this channel, I completely run on donor support. It's super important to get monthly recurring donors. You can find the links to my donor box, my Venmo, and my Patreon down below. I also have a merch store where I sell t-shirts like uh, greetings from the Rocky Mountain Bible fan fiction sex cult. Those are popular, sold a bunch of those. So make sure that you're subscribed to this channel for sure. This also comes out as a podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever it's available to you on your phone. So you can listen to Mormon History Hoedown wherever you go. And if you have any other ideas or topics or things you want to discuss, I'm going to have a ton of new content coming out, uh, a new studio coming in-person interviews coming. So if you want to reach out to me, my email is also down in the description below. So thank you guys again for tuning in. All right. Love you so much, guys. Thanks again, Steve. Bye.